Greetings friends, this is Will Nicholas, your Odd Rev, bringing you the second season of the Deep Faith Nine podcast. friends, this is Will Nicholas and I'm welcoming you to the first episode of Season 2 of Deep Faith 9 podcast. And what an episode it's going to be. We're trying out some new things. I've got a panel with me today and we're going to attempt to cover not one but three episodes um, because they are a to-be-continued sequence at the beginning of Season 2. We'll be covering The Homecoming, The Circle and The Siege which covers the escalating disturbance from the Bajoran people and the circle as they attempt to form uh, a stronger and more stable political government. Uh, the power plays become intense and the Bajorans return to their freedom-fighting days. My panel today uh, consists of Karen Mitchell-Lambert as well as Niall, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, and also we've had Zachary Nicholas, who's with us on the podcast today, Welcome, panellists, to the first episode of Deep Faith 9, Season 2. Thank Hi. you for having Thank us. You. Great to be here. Thanks for having me again. Um, we will certainly need that icebreaker, though, because it's like zero degrees at the moment. I um, mean, you're coming to us from uh, Hobart in Tasmania, Zach, that's right? I am indeed. Uh, and Karen, you're in Sydney, um, New South Wales? Yes, in Sydney. It is cold, but not quite that cold, Zach. And Niall, finish the geography for us. You're in Newcastle, that's right? Yes, I was due to be in Tassie in two weeks for a choir concert, but obviously that's been cancelled, and I'm not complaining too much looking at the weather. Beautiful sunny day here in Newcastle. wouldn't say warm, but, but, but stunningly beautiful, so we're very lucky. Well, we're going to get straight into it today, and um, having a look at these three episodes, we're going to have a think about the, the themes that sit there. One thing that I do need to note is that uh, I've put the word out to find a whole bunch of new guests as well as uh, my old guests, and I do recognise that I haven't uh, been successful in being able to have guests who are people of colour as part of my podcast. Um, And so if you're out there and you're a science fiction fan um, and you would like to assist me to um, bring or broaden the perspectives that we're actually having here, then I would love to hear from you and you can make contact with me on my Facebook page, Never Odd or Even, or send me a message there. Uh, Or you can email me on Never Odd or Even, all one word, all lowercase, dot me at gmail.com. Uh, and I would love to uh, have you come on the podcast with me. You don't even have to know me. I don't have to know you. I'm keen to meet new people. So um, we are going to get straight into it today. What um, what are the things that jump out at us as we've watched these first three episodes of the season uh, season two of Deep Space Nine? I would say definitely for me, it's um, very closely aligned with, uh, well... Being a more technology-based person and seeing the uh, rise of Anonymous again, having 
the circle comes through in this episode has been really interesting and the crossovers there, uh, but also the many political uh, intrigue things that are very reminiscent of most board games that we play. That's fascinating, Zach. So, uh, uh, just to divert for a second, you said Anonymous is back. What are they up to at the moment? I haven't been following closely. They um, made a comment, uh, made a broad announcement, I guess, that they were going to be airing out some fairly dirty laundry um, of uh, a number of fairly high-ranking police force members um, in the States uh, after that event happened. I think that's fascinating because Anonymous have the reputation of in a, in a sense, shooting up, they don't seem to have a lot of official power, but they they can create a bit of a nuisance. Um, and I thought one of the themes that runs through this first through three episodes of season two, and it pops up in season um, one as well, is the the question of when does the transition happening from being a, a resistant group or or a group on the bottom uh, to being a group on the top or or having power, and what happens there? And I know that theme does come up in season one, but I thought uh, that was the whole question now, especially firstly with the uh, the resistance leader uh, that Major Kira finds, and then with the circle moving from being a resistant group to actually taking power. So I think that's a key theme running through it, and maybe Anonymous, if they ever got power, would go bad, or maybe they're really bad. I don't know. Some thoughts. It is a very different um, thing to be attempting to claim power from a position of being disempowered to actually a position of actually being uh, having to make policy and having to, to run and govern. It's a very interesting um, switch, isn't it? Yes, certainly. There was also the comment um, from the actual episode that mentioned that the resistance is more organised than the government, which I'm not going to make any outward claims, but that you know, kind of resonated fairly uh, significantly with that. I think it does come back um, to what you were saying earlier, Niall, about that, you know, the level of responsibility when you're actually outside, you know, throwing stones means that you can actually focus on certain things, whereas when you've got responsibility for everything, there's a lot to have to think about in that. And the change that comes from, you know, being able to just focus on the things that you're passionate about in comparison to having the responsibility of the lot, I think, Zach, you're, you're exactly, yeah. That's particularly interesting in recent, I mean, the last 10 years or, or, or longer of political history in Australia, where we've had a number of these micro parties pop up um, and actually be able to be very outspoken about popular issues, um, but actually really not have a great deal of depth in terms of how they might enact some of the policies they've talked about. That's because it's a lot easier to um, stand, on a soap, stand on a soapbox and make noise than it is to actually make, an actual, make a formal declaration or plan just the way of things. I had in my notes, uh, Will, uh, that I, I wanted to at some point look at the comparisons between post-apartheid post South Africa um, mm -hmm. and, and, and the episode and, and how they might intersect it. And I thought we'd get to that later on, but it looks like we're jumping straight in. So if, if you don't mind, um, Absolutely. I was really interested. Um, obviously, uh, pre-1994 uh, pre when apartheid ended in South Africa, the resistance groups were quite, not completely unified, but there was at least a unifying theme amongst them that they wanted to end apartheid, and that was the key thing. So um, they wanted a more de democratic system. And it became, in one sense, it was a very clear um, message to, to, to gather around. And then post-apartheid, they had to figure out who they were, and there was all sorts of divisions and that. Um, and what was really, really interesting to me 
um, and this is the comparison with the uh, provisional government um, in Bajor, is uh, that uh, they came up with what is often recognised as one of the the most thorough and best constitutions in the world in South Africa. But they struggled for, for years, partly because it's compared to Australia, quite a poor country, South Africa, but also because there wasn't a culture of trust in institution, um, in political processes, in the judiciary and all those kind of things. And mm. it takes time for that to develop. Um, and, and it's very hard for people to go from we distrust authority figures to now we trust them. At the same time, there wasn't an in, in proper internal critique and, and self-correcting mechanism within the new government, which meant cronyism became rife within the ANC. Not that it was any better pre pre that, but um, it takes time to develop a, a, a deep and, and well-balanced democratic system that has staying power. Um, and you see that in the provisional government in Brazil, you saw it in post-apartheid South Africa. And that's why I think people are so concerned with the undermining of those institutions in, uh, say, the US in the last four to eight to 12 years. I'm not saying the world's ending at the moment, but um, there are some questions to be asked there. It raises some really interesting questions for me about um, what's going on in Australia with Aboriginal people and just as alongside that, the Black Lives Matter issue and that this isn't going to be an easy thing to overcome. Like this is going to take time and, and there isn't a simple and easy way to do it. And I love what you're saying, Niall, about trust, that you've actually got to build that trust up. and. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily come easily. And, yeah, I'm reminded of the scene, and I think it was in the last episode in, that we watched out of the three episodes, um, where Cisco actually told one of the Bajorans about what was happening and he intentionally didn't go back and report what was actually happening and just how easily that system can be undermined and just reinforce that it's not a trustworthy place to be or how it works. Yeah, and it's fascinating then when you've got a situation like that where it's so chaotic and it's in flux that one, one um, I guess, almost illusionary shortcut to that is to actually take a, a personality, a charismatic leader, somebody with a strong reputation, and to, to make them the focus, um, which does actually then, I guess, in some ways damage democracy. Uh, and they certainly do this here with the character of Lee Nalis, who they rescue from the yeah. Bajoran prison camp. Bajor needs a leader. Someone that people will listen to, someone they can trust. And you think that Lee Nullis is that leader? I know he is. This man will will unify uh, the Bajoran people um, and his voice will be the one that will actually be able to tell us. And, and so what happens is all the factions then trust one person. And if that works, that can be inherently dangerous to a, a, a democratic future, um, as we've seen several times in history. Uh, where somebody has taken advantage of that. In this case, Linalis is racked by self-doubt and I guess a sense of lack of confidence, and so uh, it almost works better. But yeah, any thoughts about Linalis as a charismatic personality um, in the middle of this? I loved one of the particular lines um, that was in it. Um, he was like, you know, the way people understand me is actually a lie. It was a conversation between him and Cisco. They look at you and they see strength and honour and decency. They look at you and see the best in themselves. But it's all based on a lie. No, it's based on a legend. And legends are as powerful as any truth. 
Major still needs that legend. It needs you. And I wonder how often that is actually what we're looking for in our leaders is someone who can actually stand there and be the best of who we are and try and understand it from all perspectives. And that is just no easy ask for anyone, I don't think. And, and again, Nelson Mandela was the exception that proved the rule. Uh, he became a hero and but was able to unite it, but often that is not the case. That, yeah. that if, you, if you place too much expectations on, on a hero, it, it's, it's, it's fraught. Often I go to youth events and stuff and they, they talk about heroes and finding heroes in your faith and finding heroes in life and that kind of stuff. And I understand needing mentors and that kind of stuff, but I think we place too much emphasis on needing heroes sometimes. I think often when we're seeing um, a perfect hero, we're actually only seeing part of them. Um, and so we can feel a sense of betrayal when we discover that, you know, our, our great war leader hero actually just shot a Cardassian in his underpants while he was having a bath. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, so that actually, you know, that, that can be can create disillusionment. I found it really interesting because I, um, rather than being centered on uh, more of the church style thing, most of my work at the moment, most of my own spirituality, interesting enough, is done through D&D and exploring through storytelling. So... Um, when I'm writing a scenario or a, a campaign, I will often create um, a Lee Nihilus character, and I find that the ones that connect better um, are not the ones who did actually do the thing. So the knight in shining armor, but rather just the person who is in the right place at the right time. Um, and so they find that they do have this arc of it all being somewhat a lie, but then are able to pick up on that and fulfill that for themselves so it's not so bad. I love to contrast Lee with... Um the Minister Jarrow, who, yes. you know, in all of this actually seeks to be that leader. He is the one that wants to be the one that, that unites Bajoran and has Bajor for Bajorans. And he's so driven by that goal that he goes to whatever lengths possible to make it happen. And in doing so, totally undermines exactly what he's trying to do. Yeah. Like, comes out in the end that the weapons actually come from their enemies and you just look at that and go you were so passionate like there was a pureness in what you were trying to do but it just got so consuming in your desire to be the one and you see it also in um kai yep. like it mm. in her as well of this desire to actually be the one to know that she's the one in charge, that they compromise everything else along the way to do it, sometimes on purpose, but sometimes, like, and she manipulates the situation very clearly, you know, sometimes it's an accidental passion of I've just, you know, I've got it, I can't afford to stop, I've just got to keep going. And, you know, how often do we kind of get caught up in that, that it's like, this is so important, I just need to keep going and lose sight of actually by doing that, we've lost mm. what's really important to us on the way comment about the new Kai, Kai Wen, is, is interesting because she becomes, throughout the episodes and the seasons, I think, utterly compromised in the end. But at the start, I, I actually give a sense that she really feels like she knows what's best. And there, there is a sense of she's doing this for the good of Bajor and her own power. But, but you know, um, there's an intermingling of those two things. And, and certainly I, I'm experiencing that at the moment in a very, very small way with decision-making in the churches we, we deal with coming out of COVID lockdown, all those kind of things. Oh, I just wish they'd shut up and let me decide. 
it drives me nuts to, to, to converse everything and I, I, I don't question my motivation in the sense of I'm trying to do what's best for the community of faith and I'm looking after and things but uh, yes sometimes going through all the processes uh, drives me nuts I, I still think we've got too many processes in our church but a few are good do you think the circle is justified like even if their, pra- their, their methods are wrong do you think that they have have something to say I definitely think they've got something to say. I I think that's where the struggle comes in is, you know, here's an oppressed people that have been, you know, used and abused and pushed down in all sense of it. And they're saying, hang on a minute, we actually have a right to a voice here. We have a right to be who we're supposed to be. And and it's time for us to step up and take that seriously and for other people to take that seriously as well. In some ways, we're put in an awkward position here as uh, as the viewers. So in a fourth wall kind of way, we're actually put in a position of having a natural sympathy or empathy for the Federation. We've just come out of, you know, all yeah. of this history. Um, we 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 used to the uniforms. We're used to the structure, and we've and and we've talked about this a couple of times during season one. Where we we expect that when the captain gives an order, the people will do what they do. But Deep Space Nine doesn't operate that way. So the 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 chaos and some of the commentary online is that the chaos of Deep Space Nine has has annoyed or or, or upset some people um, in watching it uh, initially because it doesn't operate with the finesse of the Federation. So we're kind of set up to actually go, come on, Bajorans, don't, you don't know what's good for you. Just settle down. Let the Federation take care of everything. You'll join the Federation, get membership, and you'll enter into the peace and harmony um, that the Federation provides. Um, but it's just yeah. another colonial empire then, isn't it? I was going to say going on from there, and then we have, you know, British colonization, just, yeah. you know, in space. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting, the the concept or the, the comment about there being a voice. They certainly do have a voice and something they need to say. I think where the issue arises is where they, when they discover that, you know, how when you take the first step and you realize, oh, I can actually do this. This is the thing I can do. There's a sense of almost ego and strength that comes with that. And so you start to escalate to try and push where you can go and how far you can go until it gets too far. Um, and you're branding a Ferengi on a, a, um, yeah. a space station who's just trying to do his job. They just came in, branded me and left. Poor Quark. <laughs> I did want to mention too. I thought it was really interesting that um, we start to see, for me, throughout all of Deep Space Nine, um, one of my favorite character arcs is Quark um, because we start to see him be not just a money-hungry Ferengi. Um, and I, I, it's it's a terrible thing for me watching it backwards. But I, there's a comment that he makes and a, a comment about the Ferengi being a more refined version of the old humans. Um, and I love the fact that we can start to see it here when he is actually being the deputy, A, because it makes him feel good, but B, because he actually wants to help. Um, Quark, I hate to do this, but I guess I'll have to. That's not fair. I haven't done anything yet. Whatever you're going to do, it's not fair. You're a deputy. It's not. What? You're a deputy. You and me, a team. That's right. <laughs> Deputy. That's right. Odo deputizes Quark uh, in order to bring stability to Deep Space Nine. Um, oh, who, yeah. who would have thought that was going to happen? Yeah. 
I still think it's funny. <laughs> I love it. I love, I love deputizing. <laughs> I love deputi- I love the trophy of deputizing or placing the um the previous um evil conceived character in a place of good and seeing them thrive. I, I love it, and your hundreds of thousands of listeners will will know that Quark is one of my favorite characters, and I love the way this this whole story arc, three episodes, kicks off with him. He becomes, even though he doesn't feature much in there, he pops up from time to time. But, but, um, but it actually kicks off with him actually having knowledge and insight into goings on. And in a perfect Federation structured world, there'd be a chain of command. Someone would find out something, they'd pass it to their superior, who'd pass it to the superior, superior, would go up to the admirals and the council, it'd come down, the decision would be made. But, but you need the slightly nefarious criminal element to kind of know what's going on to, to provide a bit of um, insight and context and, and, and uh, information really into into the system. And later on, when the Federation decides, no, we're kind of going to wash our hands of Bajor sort of under the guise of uh, the Prime Directive, um, it's, it's when the, the officers on the space station sort of semi-disobey uh, uh, the order that, that, that they do the right thing in many respects. Um, and that's, again, that's the, the richness of Deep Space Nine. Mm. It's, it's when the mores of the Federation are pushed over or ignored, not completely, but, but, but for a while, um, that, that we get the most rich kind of understanding of who people are and what is good and what isn't good. Yeah. That's right. It's the the anomalies that really bring it out. And I mean, it's not the first time that um, Star Trek has actually used a bartender to uh, provide the information to the command structure. I mean, the character of Guinan yeah. does that several times during Next Generation. Um, and so there, it's a really interesting plot device to say that no matter how good your structure is, you still need some form of informal process that actually... Um, is allowed to short circuit that. And as a Defence Force chaplain, um, in my role of doing that over the years, uh, chaplaincy in the Defence Force really does cover that role. Um, the ability to be able to take information from the level of private and provide it to the level of brigadier or, or lieutenant colonel um, can sometimes mean that that stuff the chain of command might have missed actually gets picked up and carried through. And, and Quark follows that role very well in this um, this instance. Quark the chaplain, who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Will, can I interrupt with some trivia? Yeah. Okay. Uh, our family, to get keep ourselves sane, have been connecting from all around Australia to do trivia each night. Um, and one of the questions, which wasn't on the trivia, but my daughter asked, is what is an EGOT? E G O T. It's an acronym. Who is someone? Ooh. I have no idea. I, yeah. I'm not sure. It's, it's someone, and it re- relates to our discussion, I promise, I promise. Um, <laughs> someone who won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony Award. Yep. Mm-hmm. Emmy, Grammy. And one of those people is Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, there we go. Wow. There you go. Um, and usually I can understand how people would, would, would win the, 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 the acting ones, the, the Grammy and the, sorry, the Oscar and the, and the Emmy and the Tony, but... But but winning the recording, the music one was was a tricky one. But there is actually a, a category for best comedy recording, which would be Goldberg won in nineteen eighty six. So there's some trivia. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, absolutely, and 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 um, uh, you know, so active in so many areas, um, and so diverse, um, in her roles. So, if only we could get her on the podcast. Oh, oh, that would well. be awesome. Whoopi, if you're out there, send me a message. I'd love to have you on the podcast. <laughs> We're all going to volunteer to be on that panel. Hundred <laughs> percent. I would. I would give up anything. That would be awesome. Maybe we should have like a fan one or something that she could come and talk to. <laughs> That'd be very cool. I um, wanted to bring us back um, to that whole discussion we were just having about Quark and Odo. Yep. And I really like that Odo actually gave Quark the opportunity to help without having to, like, walk away from who he was, like, and compromise that relationship that he had that was giving information back in, that he was able to see the value in you know, not saying, no, you've got to, you know, you can come and be one of my constables, but you've got to walk away from all of these things or you've got to dob in all those people. And instead he went, no, we can use this to actually help find out what we need to find out. And I think it shows a real openness to, like, how can we be innovative in conflict? Like, how can we try and, you know, sometimes peace doesn't come easily. And and what are the ways and the methods that we can use that can help bring about that peace? Mm. Well, and that's that's fascinating because we were so critical of of say the um, the circle and, and the bad guys in, in yeah. the story who use who, who privileged tactical ends over ideals. Um, and in this case, in a sense, uh, Odo is privileging the tactic of getting Quark on side for his ends. Um, that is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't even considered that. That's yeah, that's yeah. a good point. I guess it's done because you're you're aware of the individual person, and it's not multiple people's tactics at the same time. It's it's a uh, him wanting to do the right thing. But also, Odo's always been some of an anomalous character. Even in earlier this episode, um, or that episode, we see uh, his first outburst, or one of his first outbursts of uh, telling <laughs> Kira that she needs to fight. You know, it's yeah. interesting to see the security officer and the person who keeps the peace to say that they need to fight against this. Well, I was just, I want to split the whole discussion, actually, um, because I want to talk about the whole concept of the circle and, and their, you know, that... Bajoran, Bajorans need to go back to like who they were before and that it was based on you know who your family was and what your genetics were because for me this was a really really interesting um, issue I um, I didn't know my dad when I was growing up I, I met him when I was about 30 and the most fascinating thing about that first encounter was for me the whole conversation about genetics versus um socialization like what had I actually inherited genetically from him and what had I learned from my family and my community environment that helped me become who I was and this particular episode really spoke to me about the expectations we have on people and whether we allow people to grow and become something more or whether they have to remain who they've always been because of their family, because of their genetics, because of, you know, where their place is in the world. I just, I wanted to throw that out there as a bit of a discussion. Mm. Bajor does have a very strong caste system um, and um, this is the first time we see that. um, But later on, um, we actually get several episodes in later seasons where um, that caste system rises again and the fundamentalism of the caste system starts to say, well, you can't be a soldier, you have to be... An artist or you have to be something else and kira yeah. flies up in that yeah. so you know that's fascinating i'll be i'll be honest with you i'm very i'm 
quite honestly quite happy that we don't operate in a system like that because I'm very much looking forward to my study of nursing at TAFE uh, later on this year. And uh, I don't think I'd survive so well as uh, doing the wonderful work that the rest of you who do ministry do. As, as <laughs> some guy, I, I see it and I, I will envy it and I will admire it, but I don't think it's something I could do myself. So. Uh, Zach, on weeks like this, I'm feeling like I should go and do nursing. <laughs> nursing. <advice>. So <laughs> to, just to continue that, I want to kind of move us on now into another relationship that's, um, we talked about Odo and Quark, but actually let's move um, on now to talk about the relationship that seems to be developing between Kira and Vedic Burial. Um, uh, it's a, it's a, a, a I guess a, a, an interesting relationship, um, and um, it um, does inspire a whole range of different emotions and drama. And a lot of people do say science fiction shouldn't do romance, um, but how do we feel about that developing relationship between Kira and Beryl that's in the middle of this uh, three-part series here? I guess I struggle with it um, somewhat because. Uh... I don't know Burial as much. It's not one of the characters that sticks out to me. But um, knowing Kira, it's a, it's a massive juxtaposition as she's always been the fiery, outspoken, I need to do something, I need to be something. Um, and he's very passive, very... Um, even his cadence is very slow. It's very uh, simmered. It's not similar enough, so it seems odd that they're, you know, united. But They do seem to be opposites, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. This is the part of the storyline that I cringe with and, and have been known to skip over when I watched the episodes before. Partly because maybe when I was watching um, DS9 and Star Trek for the first time, I didn't want to think about relationships. <laughs> I mean, stuff. I was your stereotypically nerdy young boy who didn't really find that stuff helpful and uh, but but also, I think Vedic Baral is the most puerile stereotype of what religious leaders are, and, and, and they shouldn't, they're not like that, and they shouldn't be like that, and that that's the kind of way it's framed is, is really annoying to me, and I find it very different to the first Kai, who yeah. actually has some, like, like she's wise, and she's kind, and she's she listens and all those kind of good things, but she's also got a passion and a, and a diligence and she puts her money with her mouth these ways. Yeah, Baral just seems almost otherworldly, ethereal. I don't know if you want to weigh in. Yeah, yeah. it's it's, a, it's odd that way. I, I found it really, one of the things that annoyed me about this was, again, when the Kai came back in and before she was Kai, had her little conversation and that, like the way she talked about the relationship is that Kira was his plaything. Good for you, Vedic Barail. After working so hard, you deserve a little recreation. Like, well, you've worked hard and you deserve this. And I'm like, like, I don't find him, like, I don't know what Kira sees in him other than he's really good looking. Like, I just, and maybe that's enough. <laughs> Potentially, I was going to make a, a somewhat. I've, I've been sitting on a somewhat controversial uh, opinion, and I didn't want to share it in case it was going to be overseen. But it looks like it's probably okay. Um, the relationship um, is almost on the lines of predatory. Um, oh, interestingly yeah. enough, because um, he's very like, I don't, I don't even know. It, it just makes my skin kind of creepy. I am It's just unsettling. Yeah, yes. I, I, it, yeah. it's the kind of thing that if you know if, if I ever had a daughter and I saw my daughter hanging out with someone like that, I would say, look, you know, you've got to got to have a think about this. Is this something you want to do? Um, which you know, dad will laugh at and find immensely funny because I have made a number of mistakes. 
we won't we won't go into those here. But um, one of oh, let's. one of the one of the things that's interesting, given all of that, and I feel the same way. I've always kind of gone, oh, what, who is this guy? They they actually end up um, um, developing a relationship together. They end up having a having well, kind of having a surrogate child together and he becomes a support person. So so this, this character, Baral, who we kind of wish, you know, was just in these three episodes and then might just fade into the background like so many others, um, stays in right through the whole series. Um, and um, so that's it's a fascinating choice. Uh, and I do, I, I would agree with Niall, each time I see him appear, sometimes I go, oh my gosh, him again. Can oh, you just... I even skipped, <laughs> when I was watching them uh, earlier this morning, I actually skipped over that section. I went, look, I, I know what it is. I've seen it before. It's burned into my mind. I'm just going to skip over it. Um, but then I went back and watched it because I'm doing this as a, as a research project. And I actually found that in that section, um, there's a conversation about being useless. Um, yeah. And people struggling with being useless. And yeah. I, I resonated with that a lot because at the moment I'm struggling with my work because it's very stagnated and I'm waiting on a phone call to be able to do something else. Um, but it, it is very much feeling useless and having an issue with that. And I was wondering well, some of people's thoughts. And hasn't that been like exactly the issue of COVID? Yep. How many people have had to really come to terms with what does it mean to be useless and not being able to do anything? Like, and yet actually discovering that there is a depth within that that comes when we do take time out and we do chill and not get caught up in the whole consumerist capitalism we've got to be doing and being and out there. Um, yeah, I find, yeah, I find that really fascinating. And maybe that is the strong voice that Barile brings to us in this, that he is the one who actually says, hey, um, maybe it's not time for action. Maybe it is time to to sit back. Maybe we do need to reflect on who we are, take a breath before we move. I'm useless here. So? So? I, I need to feel useful. It might be interesting to explore useless for a while. See how it feels. Oh. Well, you don't know me. I'm beginning to. Yeah, I, and that is great wisdom, I should say, but it just comes through a most annoying of vessels. <laughs> yeah, and maybe maybe that's how life is sometimes too. Maybe the 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 the, the, uh, the people we might want to disregard or get rid of or, or slip out of our lives sometimes they might have something very essential to say to us. Don't be so reasonable, Will. <laughs> that's, that's my like job. Look, uh, and look, with all of that reasonableness, I do have to say that every time another um, potential. Uh, person comes along for Kira to have a relationship with, I barrack for them and I go, come on, come on, you can beat this guy. You can, oh. you can, you know. Um... You, you can pip him. You, you'll be fine. Come on, you can do this. Yeah. Now, we only get a glimpse of it here as well, right back at the beginning of the episode, because we're talking about Kira and her relationships. Um, didn't expect Odo. didn't expect we we're going to be there. Um, we do have that Odo relationship. We also have this yeah. very strange relationship with Kira and Miles O'Brien. Um, and mm. in fact, um, you know, I'll, I'll let the fans who are still watching get to it, but at some st at one stage later, I'll drop the the spoiler now. She has his baby, um, which is actually you know a very interesting turn of events. So you see a glimpse of this at the beginning when they go to rescue Linalis together and they they bounce off each other and work together um, there in a very intimate way. Um, um, and so yeah, I, I I do like about Deep Space Nine that it it's unafraid um, to deal with these relationships because of its meta story. A lot of other episodic science fiction tends to, to gloss over or, or, or not deal with um, 
um, intimate relationships. But but Deep Space Nine really does, um, and and has babies. People get married. People break up. There's all kinds of um, of of depth there. One of the things that I found as being uh, a member of the younger audience watching is that uh, Jake has an issue with not being able to go on a, a date with a girl that um, he wants to because uh, he's not Bajoran, um, which is an interesting little side thing there. Um, and then with all of the, as another thing, because I'm just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks, mm-hmm. um, with uh, the all the references and things we've made to uh, the real world uh, comparisons, it's also interesting to pull into the Voyager comparisons. And they actually call um, Admiral Chakotay, who was the uh, not um, staff member of color, but the person who uh, would often give um, Captain Janeway the other point of view uh, within within Starfleet. Did you just promote Chakotay to Admiral? No, well, no, he was Admiral. Admiral. Yeah, there's he was a, Admiral I, in the show. It's oh. a different Chakotay. It's a oh, different, I missed it. Different, uh, it Rattle or something Admiral like that. Yeah, Chakotay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, so my my brain went ah oh, Jacote, that's awesome. Yeah, me and I, I went all on this this right. whole tangent of, of that. Oh, and we don't see him in the episode, so maybe maybe you know when he when the admiral no, joined the market. Oh, we do. Yep. Yeah, we do, and it's not yeah. the Jacote from okay. Janeway. It's like oh. yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I think it might be a relation to him. Okay. So it was interesting. Yeah. Look, the tangent is still valid. Oh, that's, good. that's good, and and it's a nice piece of uh, trivia, even if it is a continuity error. So um, that's that's fantastic. Um, look, I, I'm recognising that uh, you know the ambitious task of working on three episodes is huge, and we're actually uh, getting towards the end of our our episode now. We've covered really well um, the circle and the development. We've looked quite well at that middle part where um, um, you know the the. The, the politics is there, but it'd be good now to get to the siege, that final climactic moment, how the military thing comes to an end, so that we can um, we can kind of um, wrap up the three episodes. So um, what are our thoughts about uh, the secret mission, the, the crazy little um, moon spiders, um, all those little bits and pieces uh, flying on a dilapidated shuttle? Um, yeah, um, h- how do we go with the, uh, the climactic end? My, I, I, my big theme about that and it starts, I think, in episode two and goes through to episode three. But it, it's the bigger question of how militaries, and I think you can extend that to police forces, and that gets very topical at the moment, are always compromised, not completely compromised necessarily. But there's always, um, I guess, dodgy elements that we'll, we'll get into our police forces and militaries and stuff like that. Um, and they need extra uh, monitoring and extra levels and standards of of ethical training and all sorts of things like that because they have so much power and i think we see in this that the military is compromised and and that leads to disastrous consequences um that's the big theme Uh, there's some specific stuff it's interesting for me because i don't just see that it's a military thing either like there's a couple of different places when the bajorans are all trying to leave and lee nullis has to say to them you know where the hell are you going this is Bajor, this is your place, why are you running away? We need to protect our visitors and you need to stay and actually face this and we need to sort out our problems together. And earlier again when Cisco was, when they were talking about going to rescue Lee in the first place and the conversation goes on about what are we going to say to the Cardassians when they find out that we've done this, right? 
But then he turns around and the, the conversation is, well, what are the Cardassians actually going to say to us because they've done the wrong thing? And I, I, how many times do we get caught in these situations where all of us are actually compromised, where even with our great ideals, even with our good thinking and our hopes and all of this, there is an element where fear takes over or where, you know, not wanting to get caught out takes over or, you know, or, you know, our hope for something more and better requires us to make sacrifices. And, and where's that line? When when do we know we've crossed that line? You know, and I think that can be really hard for everybody to see at times. And how do we be accountable for that? It's just, yeah, some great stuff in there for me. As ministers, um, you know, we find ourselves in these, like uh, Noel mentioned before, in positions of compromised power, you know, at the moment. I recognise that in terms of returning back to services of worship, that if I were to, to to speak strongly one way or the other, I know I could probably influence my church council to actually move in that direction. And so that 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 power of leadership, both conscious and unconscious, both um, extrinsic and intrinsic, is 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 something that really has to be dealt with um, reflectively um, and give careful consideration to. Yeah, and, and that's not. Not necessarily that we should avoid speaking, but just be aware that we carry power when we do so. Yeah. Yep. Because because there is well, the there is a there can be a pretense I think, and I think that's actually what's going on with that annoys me about Verdict Barral amongst everything else is that there's a pretense that he is disconnected from the day to day the the, the things, but really he has an awful lot of power and influence and, and stuff, especially over Kira. Um, but he makes it as if it's all about her finding her own self. Uh, but she wouldn't be there if it wasn't for him. So it's all very yeah, tough. yeah. Well, and from that perspective too, he he gives away the power of not like, and this is not this season, but before about he gives away the power of being able to be the guy himself and to protect the the previous guy that I love. Um, and Yet, like, the power that he could have done to bring about good in that, you know, and... I can see that entirely. Like, you, you know, <laughs> we've got this real paradigm between do we do we decide not to exercise power at all and become totally voiceless and, and ascetic and, and retreated, uh, or do we claim power? And I think there's a paradigm there. And I also think we, we've talked in the last couple of weeks, um, both with Tamsin and with Lindsay last week, about how Kira's had to wrestle with this, where she's flipped from actually needing to exercise extreme power as a freedom fighter slash terrorist um, to actually then becoming a person who wields power and having to say, I can't continue to be that person that I was anymore because it will be detrimental, it'll be damaging. Um, and I think we all have to watch that. Uh, and, and particularly, um, you know, when we're a part of a, a resistance or we're part of a, 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 an activism or something like that, the, the behavior that we might do at the beginning becomes utterly inappropriate um, towards the end. Um, and so it's, a, it's really interesting. And at that point, we have to say, oh, I guess I'm speaking for all of us, but we're white middle class Australians. Yes. We haven't really been involved, I would guess, in... I certainly haven't been directly in a, in a resistance. Uh, I've tried to be allied with things in my family history, especially in South Africa. But, um, yeah, that's our take on things, but we'd love to hear different views, and I'm sure. And we'll get the opportunity because this, um, this process um, that we're following that begins here is something that stays with um, Bajor and the Federation uh, throughout the entire um, next six seasons. 
um, that they, they actually have to constantly deal with this. And so, yeah, as I said at the beginning, um, looking for um, uh, those voices that will actually be able to better inform uh, this podcast um, and, and I guess the world, uh, that's an ambition for me, um, about these issues from a, from a direct sense rather than the, the, the privileged, um, I guess, uh, conjecture that we're actually engaging in at the moment. This is all very profound. I have one last, or one, it's probably the last thing I wanted to say, which is completely fan related. So yep. go for it. Yep. We're up for last. Yeah. So go, go Niall, give us your last. You, you know, the whole um, rebuilding the fighter on a moon and uh, <laughs> not working properly or anything. Were they making a conscious effort to appeal to Star Wars fans at this point? Because it was just like tropes straight out of Star Wars. <laughs> find this thing we, we won't have a droid but we'll have dax in the back acting like a droid we'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll build it together on chewing gum and it'll have to fly into the atmosphere and it'll be and even coming from one of the moons that's a bit jungly and stuff i thought it was one little yeah. ship yeah one little ship against one, one against ship, it all that's it. yeah that's yeah it. yeah definitely linking there <laughs> um uh zach any last thoughts as we come to an end ultimately my only thought i guess i would have is um, it's it's an interesting dichotomy of uh, looking into people's personals, uh, personal opinions uh, and what you do as part of your job and what you want to do as part of your own um, personality. Yep. Yeah, no, good. And Karen, um, final thoughts? I think for me uh, it's about understanding that we do have power in our situations and we've got to be really careful and accountable about how we use that and, and realise that we're going to stuff it up. Like we're not going to make good choices all the time, you know, even with the best intentions. And so how do we redeem that, I think, is really the question and or, or you know, even confront ourselves or confront others to help us become better for the benefit of everybody. And and I think that's really important to take home is, you know, these people are trying to make it better for everybody. Well, certainly for the Bajorans anyway, you know. Um, yeah. Yep. No, that's fabulous. Well, look, I, I'm, I, I really want to thank um, all three of you for uh, joining me for this panel discussion. Um, it's been a, a good experiment and it's worked well, so I'm certainly going to be experimenting with further panels in the future. Um, I'm just really excited that um, the um, podcast has been going so well and I'm really thankful to all of those subscribers who are listening regularly. Um, and I'd appreciate, um, you know, some, some comments, some feedback. Um, if you're on um, I, um, Apple Podcasts, and uh, give us a rating. Uh, leave us some comments. where we, we can take it. Um, and uh, likewise on Spotify uh, or SoundCloud. Um, and um, I'd love to, to I guess, uh, I said, think from the very beginning, I've said I'm wanting to develop a community around this podcast, uh, a community of conversation. So uh, please get in touch with me. Uh, if you want to be on, uh, especially if you're a cast member of Deep Space Nine, uh, Cole Meany, uh, Nana Visitor, um, if you're out there, um, you know, uh, send me a message. I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can get me on uh, at Odd Rev uh, on Twitter, um, and I'd love to have uh, have one of those voices here as well because that would be good. Or, or um, one of the people from behind the cameras. Or absolutely. Oh, that, that, uh, those are often so. overlooked. Yep. Yeah. Look, we're desperate here. We'll take anyone. Um, so um, I would take a, a writer or a cast member over an actor any day. If 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 you were the, the the former roommate of the second cousin of somebody who swept the floor on the set, 
um, I, I would love to have you on the podcast um, come and let me know so um, yeah that would be good alright well look thanks again for, for joining us um, and um, I, I, uh, I'll say uh, goodbye to you each in turn so you can say goodbye goodbye uh, Niall goodbye Will and Karen and Zach goodbye Zach goodbye Niall and Karen and Will <laughs> goodbye Karen Bye, Pop. I feel like I've. See ya. I feel like I feel like I've just ended young talent time. Okay, (laughs) all all of you, uh, all my loving, uh, we'll catch you later on. Bye.